You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. For context, that's open to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, that's where we will be today for the most part. Right, so I've been asked this question a lot here lately. Um, it's a good question, uh, seemingly solid, um, and it's probably a typical question that we've all asked ourselves. We all understand where this question comes from, and we all um, would understand um, like the heart behind it. <clears throat> and it's a deep question. Uh, it's, it's got some theology packed into it, and it's profound. And it's, where do babies come from? Just fine. That's not really, that's not really the question. Right? But first, before I tell you the question, I'm going to tell you where I come from. All right. So, according to Phil, I'm in the prime time of my life. If you were here last week, you know why. Because 28 years old, I feel great. Not not really. I'd probably put myself at about 20. Uh, that would be prime for me, but to each his own. But. Uh, so to start, we're going to start at age nine. So at age nine, I became a Christian. All right? So I was compelled by the Spirit. Right? The Spirit compelled me to believe in Jesus. And it was in a way that I couldn't deny anymore. So it, my little nine-year-old heart was saying, all right, Lord, I surrender to you. All right? I can't live in rebellion. Um, as I'm nine, you know, I'm up to all kinds of mischief. I can't live in rebellion anymore. So I have to be a Christian. But from age 9 to about 1920, I didn't lead that lifestyle. I didn't walk as a Christian. Right? I was a Christian, but I didn't walk as a Christian until the Lord compelled me through the gospel again. He said, look, you're a Christian. You believe in the gospel. The gospel is all about me. So if you're a Christian and you believe in the gospel, you should be all about me. I was like, oh. Compelled once again at that moment to live a life that was all about Jesus. <clears throat> and that is an adventure, let me tell you. So after I became compelled to live a life for God's kingdom, uh, I met my wife, Courtney. And um, after a year after that, we were moved to Colorado uh, on a mission to plant a church up there. So... Uh, and we spent three years up there being trained for what we had no idea. We were just up there doing what the Lord wanted us to, wanted us to do. And all through that time, he was training us for here. All right? So I went from nine years old to being trained for the ministry, all because I just wanted to be used for the Lord. It's like, all right, to the, I'm going to let the gospel be applied. So training us in Colorado, we were, that church came to an end, that season ended, and we felt just a significant calling for Calvary Chapel Paris. Didn't know why, had no idea, um, but we just felt, man, that's where we need to be. And the Lord sealed that in some scripture. He said, move back to the land of your inheritance. Like, All right, my parents live there. That must be where I'm going. So we did. Came up upon Calvary Chapel for the first time in the parking lot. There were some youth running around, and uh, you know, I started to talk to them. I was like, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, how are you guys? What's up? I'm just going to get involved. And, you know, I'm back. I need to start talking to people. And, and you know, and uh, shortly after that, Mary Beasley, I love her to death. She's awesome. Came out and kicked me out of the church. <laughs> She's like, I did. <laughs> she totally did. But that was the start. 
to a fantastic relationship because she's great. And it was also the start to me be, being in the youth and volunteering in the youth because I had no desire for that at all. But she's like, you'd be so good with these kids. Why don't you come? I was like, no way. She talked to me enough. I was like, okay, all right, I'll come back in there. And it turned out to me teaching one Wednesday, and uh, now I'm the youth pastor. And if you would have asked me three years ago, hey, you want to be a youth pastor? I'm like, no. <laughs> now, if you'd asked me if I wanted to leave, I'd be like, no. Never, never would I leave because it's awesome. So that's a little bit of my story. So back to the question. All right? The real question is, um, obviously it's not a, where do babies come from, but it is a good question that I'm sure we all have asked ourselves before, and, and that's how can I make myself better? How can I make myself better? Now we're going to look at this revolving around Ephesians 2.8. So write this down. How can I make myself better? In Ephesians 2, verse 8, besides that, for those who take notes. If you don't take notes, I encourage you to take notes. How can I make myself better? All right, so this is a good question, and every time it's been asked, which has been probably five times in the past two months, it's been from somebody who has a really heavy heart. Like, how can I make myself better? All right. But not only with a heavy heart, I, I feel like there's an incomplete view of the gospel also. Like not a bad view of the gospel, don't get me wrong. Not a bad view, but an incomplete view of the gospel. All right. So what does the gospel say? And what is the gospel? Well, let's look into this. Point one, gospel in you, gospel in me, gospel in us. Gospel magnifies two things. It amplifies two things. First, that we are really bad. What is that? I was doing that off first service, too. But we are really bad. That was just like confirmation. He's like, yep. (laughs) We're really, really bad. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. We are. We're we're human. All right? Um, But why? Why are we really bad? So let's let's look at the Bible. All right? Just a couple of verses for us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's look at one more. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. All right, there's another one. All right, so here's one more. Be angry and don't sin. How many of you guys are like, be angry and don't sin. I know, I struggle with that. Am I the only one? Okay, good to know. I was starting to worry. It's like, man, man, Lord, help me. <laughs> the last one, I think this will make my point. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Take a notes, write that down. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. It says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. All right, so this tells us a little bit why we're so bad. right? Because this puts emphasis not on us. Right? Because the standard of holiness is not of you. The standard of holiness is not of me. All right? And apparently... 
It's not of Moses either, who wrote the law. Right? It's not about how much better you are than the worst person you can think of. And that tends to be where our standards of holiness come from. But no, that's not it. This, this, this standard of holiness right, that tells us we're bad is because it comes from the holy righteous requirement of God and from God alone. All right, so that's the first part. It's kind of hard for us to take in, maybe, but the gospel is good news. Amen. Amen. The gospel is good news because the second part expounds upon God's love for us. All right, because it says we are loved more than we could ever imagine, more than our wildest dreams about love. I don't know what that would look like, but more than our wildest dreams. We're loved so much that while we were still sinners, let's put some imagery to it. Let's say while we were spitting in Jesus' face. Like, while we were spitting in his face, he still loved us. Right? He, and not only loved us, but he still came to the earth to die on behalf of us. All right? For us to become the righteousness of God, to become sons of God, that we could become his heirs. That's love. That's love. All right, so Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. So by grace through faith. Let's break that down. By grace meaning... That it's nothing that you could ever do. It's nothing you could ever do. It doesn't ride upon your ability to act. Right? It's from God alone. Free gift of grace. And then through faith, meaning that we believe in Jesus. Right? But it goes beyond just believing in Jesus. James 2.19 says that even the demons believe and tremble. All right? So it's beyond believing in Jesus now to throwing all right, we throw all of our trust on Jesus and the finished work of our cross, of the cross. All right? And we cling to our hope and our salvation in Christ. We cling to our faith. Um, in Costa Rica, it's a good story. Take a minute, it's a good story. You'll laugh, I promise. In Costa Rica, there's these purple crabs purple and orange crabs, right, and their, their bodies are bright purple, and their claws are bright orange, and they're just the coolest crabs I've ever seen in my life. So cool that while I was walking down to the beach to go surfing, right, which in itself is pretty awesome, I was like running down, I was like, whoa, look at that crab. That's a cool crab. i got to show everybody this crab. So I pulled out my phone. To, I didn't really have my phone. It's just extra. Pulled out my phone to take a picture. I'm like, that's not good enough throw it. So I was like, I got to show somebody in person. So I reached down to pick this crab up and, you know, nature's like, no, he didn't want to have anything to do with me. I'm like, you know what? Crab, meat foot. I'm playing. I didn't just crunch it. That would have been messed up. I just concealed it. So I just hold this crab down with my foot and I reach down, get behind its claws because, you know, this is a beast crab too. It's, It's macho. So I pick this crab up. I'm like, What are you going to do now, crab? Huh? What do you think? Crab, meet Micah. So I'm holding this crab, completely confident in my crab securing abilities. All right? So confident. 
overly confident because I turned my head, and what happened? The grab clings to my thumb. I was like, how did this happen? It's like some acrobat stuff, but it does. It clings to my thumb. All right, so then I become the pinnacle of the Costa Rican beach, running down the beach going, ah! <laughs> flinging my hand like a crazy madman. This bald white dude running down the beach of Costa Rica. It's hilarious, but it's a good laugh, and it's a great lesson too because this crab with faith clings to my thumb, all right, clinged with faith that it would save him, and lo and behold, he was rescued. And it saved him. But as a Christian, we're called to cling to our faith in Christ. All right, cling to the gospel. All right, so, but this is the gospel. The glorious good news that as a Christian, we can stand before God covered by the blood of Jesus, being completely washed and forgiven all right, of our sins and completely pleasing to God by the grace of God through faith in God. That's good news. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We're going to jump around Ephesians 2. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So, with that truth that's, contrast, compare and contrast with our question. How in the world can I, how can I make myself better? Huh? How can I make myself better? Well, according to the gospel, you can't. It's, a, it's actually against the gospel message. It's against the gospel message, you know, even though the question comes with good intentions, you know, it's, there's heaviness in our hearts. We want to be better, all right? The question comes with good intentions, but there's some problems, right? So the problem is it explicitly puts us on a pedestal. It puts us on a pedestal, and it creates a religious response to our shortcomings, all right? And it puts an unrealistic pressure on us to perform for something that we'll never be able to achieve. We'll never be able to achieve it, all right? It's, it's this idea of religion, all right? We become more self-focused and less Christ-focused. It's religion. We become more religious in our walk with Jesus because of our desires to perform for God. But religion is not what God wants. It's not what God wants. So religion implies, this is why it's not what God wants, religion implies that man can make himself right apart from Jesus. But the gospel says that only through faith in Jesus are you made right with God. And that's removing any kinds of good works or any kinds of performance completely from the picture. But still, we do struggle with this today uh, because culture revolves around our performance and and says that you're only as good as how you look. It does as as your truck is big or something like that, you know. It's only as good as how you look. It tells us to go out and to try to uh, try harder and to be better. Um, but when we bring this to our Christian walk, we begin to think that God can only love us as well as we can perform for him. And that's where it can be dangerous because we, th- we think that we're only accepted based on the amount of our performance. This in the church 
is not God's heart. It's a religion, and it's from man, and it's dangerous. I'm going to tell you why. Three things. Write them down. See, religion says be something. Religion says be something. All right? But the gospel says you're a child of God. Religion says look a certain way. The gospel says God sees you as he sees Christ. Write that down. That's good stuff. (laughs) That's good stuff. (laughs) God sees you as he sees Christ. Religion says get it together, bro, and get out and do better. Get out and perform. All right? Perform as a Christian. But the gospel says Christ will complete you as you walk with him. Galatians. Genesis 15 speaks of Abraham's faith being accounted to him as righteousness. And in that chapter, um, God promises him that he'll be the father of many nations. And God at, or Abraham asks, how is this going to happen? I don't have a child. God's like, bro, I said it's going to happen, but let me make a covenant with you just so you'll be at ease. All right, so he starts to make a covenant. And in this covenant, they take these animals and they cut them in half. Right, the imagery, they cut them in half, and that's to walk through as I seal this covenant. And the meaning behind this is if you break the covenant, you're to be cut in half and set into pieces, and I'm going to walk through you. So it's pretty significant weight upon this covenant, right? I would be hesitant to make a covenant like that today, unless it was with God. But in the middle of this covenant, God causes Abraham to fall in a deep sleep, all right? And so Abraham's over here dreaming away, you know, getting well-rested. And God's over here completing the covenant apart from him. And, but the question is, why? Well, this is to show us that God alone is good enough. And God alone is good enough. And God alone being good enough is great news. It's great news. Because this also shows us that God does not won our works. He wants our walk. Because it was his faith that was accounted to him, his righteousness, his walk. All right, so point two, taking notes, write this down. The gospel is a daily walk with Jesus. The gospel is a daily walk with Jesus, and this is the gospel completely applied. This is the gospel completely applied. Analogy. Analogy time. This is called, I'm going to put a name to it, The Chasm in the Stone Tower of Good Deeds. It's going to be the next hit movie. Can you see that? The Chasm in the Stone, like Narnia or something like that? I can. All right, but analogy. So let's say I'm a new Christian. I just experienced the gospel for the first time. I just been punched in the face by the Holy Spirit, and I said, all right, you're stronger than I am. I can rebel no longer. All right, so as I'm being changed in my skewed view or my partial view of the gospel, I instantly become works-oriented because there's a chasm in front of me. 
So now I have this rope of salvation wrapped around me, but I also see a huge gap of where I am now to where I'm supposed to be. This is chasm, chasm of in this void. All right, so in the half view of the gospel, I think it's time to start working. All right, so the Bible says, like, it gives me good qualities to base off of, so I'm going to start to work. So I pick up this giant stone of a quality that you struggle with. I mean, you choose. Pick up this giant stone and put it down. And then I stand up on top. I was like, do I think I could jump? Now I'll put one more. So I come over, I pick up another stone, and I put it up. And eventually, I've stacked so many stones that I have a stone tower of good deeds. All based off of this ladder of moral character. All right? So I think finally my good deeds have measured up and I can jump this chasm. So I climb up on top using this ladder, stand down, I look, I'm like, that's really far. But that's a little bit shorter. It's not really that much shorter. I'm just standing a little bit higher. So I build up the courage and I'm like, Jump! I'm like, <laughs> to my dismay, it's not shorter. The chasm, the edge, goes past me. I'm like, oh no. So I fall, snap, get stuck by this rope of righteousness because it's not going to let me fall. I just got as faithful. So I climb back, climb up. I look at my stone tower of good deeds. I'm like, why did that not work? Man, it looks so good. It's like the exact replica. Carved my name in it. Like Jesus loves you, all this good stuff, you know, it has some spiritual implications to it. But in my attempts to do my my being wrapped up in myself, I failed to see that Jesus is over here holding this ladder. And he's like, What? It's nice. What is it? I'm like, What are you talking about? It's nice, it's awesome. It's like, I look awesome right there. He's like, well, you got it all wrong. And then the most profound words come out of his mouth. says, it's not a ladder. It's a bridge. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he proceeds to walk over to the side and puts it on the edge of the chasm and drops it. And it just goes on the other side. And I'm like, mind blown. I'm mind blown. And he's like, yeah. And the qualities as we walk together are shaped into you. I was, like, I was like, man, this is crazy. So that's the idea of completing the gospel. See, the gospel is for life. The gospel is for life, and we've been saved from the old man and saved from the old law of works. We no longer walk in that. But, sorry, water. I've been talking a lot. At the start, I mentioned an incomplete view of the gospel. Well, as a Christian, we all know, we all understand that the gospel is the good news for salvation, right? I mean, we would all agree, yeah, the gospel is the good news for salvation, but that's not all that it is. See, secondly, and what we forget to think about is that the gospel is not only the good news for those soon to be saved, but it's the good news for the saved to walk in daily. We get to walk in it daily. We tend to think that once we're saved, it's time to put on the big boy pants and go out and do better. That's, that's in a sense, how we're wired, all right, <clears throat> to be a better person and to act a certain way. 
But that's not what the gospel teaches. It's just simply not. See, what the gospel teaches is much more freeing. The gospel teaches that the old person is now dead, and we're raised new in Christ to walk with Christ. All right. It says it's time to take your eyes off yourself and put your eyes on Jesus. Let your focus in life be Jesus. Flip over to Romans 6 with me. Romans 6, verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. All right, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should, or we also should, walk in newness of life. So, notes, note takers, write down, walking in newness of life. Let's write that down. Are you guys writing that down? It's important, walking in newness of life. And then beside that, in parentheses, put the gospel applied. Gospel applied. See, what this means, what walking in newness of life means for us as a believer is first, all right, we get to daily walk with Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. And second, we get to daily walk with Jesus. All right. First, we get to daily walk with Jesus. Second, we get to daily walk with Jesus. See, this term walk. Uh, this term walk means to form a lifestyle, right? to form a lifestyle, um, and a lifestyle would be a way of living. Right? I mean, not brilliant, but that's what lifestyle means, a way of living and a way of thinking. <clears throat> Sorry, you're like, some stuck in my throat. <clears throat> so we could say that beginning, that this is to begin a lifestyle with Jesus, or to begin, let's make it personal, to begin a relationship with Jesus, um, not a checklist for Jesus. All right, so daily walking in newness of life is to begin a relationship with Jesus, and we don't put a checklist to it. So when we walk in newness of life, it's in reference to us creating a habit of identifying or being, or being unified to Christ. Right, in his death and in his resurrection, and we form a relationship or a union with him, together with Christ. So we identify with Christ, or we become identified in Christ. All right. We identify with Christ, and we become identified in Christ, and first in his life. All right. First in his life, meaning that we are now compelled by the Spirit to live in him who has raised us up with Christ. Having a new quality and a new character of living to focus on. New quality and character to focus on um, because we've been regenerated through the power of the cross through faith. And in his death, there's two points for your notes. There's two points in regards to being dead to the penalty of sin. 
You're like, well, what does that mean? It means that we've been redeemed by Jesus now and forever. Uh, that's jump for joy news right there. We've been redeemed by Jesus now and forever. Can I get an amen? You, you guys awake? Amen. All right, and then secondly, in regards to sin's power, he is forever breaking sin's power over those who belong to him. All right, forever breaking sin's power over those who belong to him. So when we, because we are people, sin, all right, so when we sin, we are not condemned because we are dead to sin. Can I get another amen? Amen. I'm not condemned because of Jesus. It's great. So, so the heavy-hearted, for the heavy-hearted, um, question for you. If we're being dead to sin, why should we weigh ourselves down by sin? We're dead to it. Why should we weigh ourselves down by sin? Now listen, I'm not saying... By any means that we shouldn't care about our sin. All right? Because Paul addresses this at the beginning of Romans 6. He says, well, should we sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. And that's where I stand. No, you shouldn't. All right? But what I am saying is that the gospel does not magnify us as sinners. The gospel magnifies Jesus as Savior. That's what the gospel magnifies. So to daily walk in the gospel is to daily remember Christ and what he has done for us. That's to daily walk in the gospel. But our question is, how can, how can I make myself better? How can I make myself better? We all agreed it was a good question. How can I make myself better? Uh, but maybe what we should ask ourselves is, do I think enough about how he has made me new in him? And how we as imperfect people get to identify with the perfect Jesus. That's what I want to think about. And we get to walk with God. Like in our lives, we get to walk with God. That's amazing. We get to walk in the presence of God on earth. And what's even crazier is when we walk with God, the more we walk with him, God works in our lives. The more God works in our lives. Say, the more I walk with God, the more God works in my life. So now that heavy-hearted question of what can I do can be solved by just pointing your eyes to Jesus and just looking at Jesus. Because the gospel never says it's about you. The gospel says it's about Christ. All right? And for us to be wrapped up in ourselves is actually a form of religion, and it's not from God. Galatians actually says it's against God. And I love God. I don't want to be against him. So I want to look more to Jesus. But Ephesians 2, verse 10. It says this. For we, as Christians, we are his workmanship, his Poema, all right, his masterpiece. This puts emphasis on us being beautiful in Christ. All right, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
So this is saying that God all right, has put our lives into motion when we become found in him. He puts our lives into motion and daily plans out our steps. And this goes beyond all right, what the first view would be, the, the half view of the gospel of being made new once, being made new, to being continually made new. So the gospel says we're continually made new. And if we're continually being made new daily, God is continually creating in us his character, allowing our character and his character to mingle. We become more Christ-like or more godly. That image of Christ in us becomes magnified in our life. And the more we focus on Christ, the more God's character becomes our own. And as a Christian, we need to focus more on Christ and less on ourselves. So, last point, taking notes. This is my last question. Um, are you beating yourself up? Because I'm, I'm sure there's some of us in here that, are, that have been beating ourselves up because we look at ourselves from a performance standpoint and we don't measure up. We don't measure up, and we'll never measure up. But luckily, that's not where the emphasis is placed. All right? But my question, are you beating yourself up today with a religious view? Um, because if you are, dude, quit. Quit beating yourself up. Because first, God is not mad at you. All right? He's not mad at you. And secondly, Jesus is not mad at you. Because while you were still sinning, they still died for you. Because they love you that much. So they're not mad at you. So don't think that. And we're work in progress anyways. <laughs> so let me take a drink of water again. They're not mad at you. Because they know that we're not awesome. So I would encourage you today, we're going to take communion. Um, With this message, my goal is to take our our gaze off ourselves. So the gospel amplifies Jesus in our lives. It's time to amplify Jesus. Okay? So today, I think, what better way to do that than to take communion? All right? To take our minds off of ourselves, off the things that we've been trying to do, of things we've been trying to achieve and probably getting exhausted by not measuring up and to remember what Jesus Christ has already done on that cross and remember that that's the foundation that we get to stand on. It's not on our own works. It's on what Christ has done, and that's what we remember today. Okay? So if you have a heavy heart today, I encourage you, take yourself, take your vision off yourself and put it on Jesus. Times it can be hard, but it's encouraging because Jesus loves you. Simple truth. Jesus loves you. Amen. Jesus loves you. Let's pray.